Yeah. It's not what you see all the time. I have a, a, a visual, like people see me as a combat wounded soldier mm-hmm. and I get treated a certain way for that. I don't go to breakfast most of the time because I rarely get to pay for my breakfast. Yeah. But there's a veteran probably sitting at the table next to me that's got to pay for his breakfast every time because he's got something that people can't see, you know, yeah. whether it be mental health or something like that. And it's yeah. not right. So I think I do that to try and educate people that just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Ryan Aish is an Army veteran and, in some senses, a celebrity, I guess you could say. Brian, could you say that about yourself? No, you wouldn't say that, would you? No, because celebrities and famous people get paid. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm Scott Schultz with another edition of Stigma Free Vet Zone. Now, Brian is, as I said, an Army veteran who lives in the area of Luxembourg, as in Luxembourg, Wisconsin, not the country, on the eastern side of the state in, what is it, Brian, Kiwani County? Kiwani County, yes. Several deployments in, a Purple Heart along the way, and a lot of life lived by Brian. Brian, tell me about where you grew up and stuff. I grew up in a, in a little rural town called Shyocton on the Wolf River in central Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my my parents divorced along the way around middle school, um, and then we moved to Hortonville, which is just outside of Appleton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I graduated from Hortonville, Wisconsin, where you grew up for that while along the Wolf River. That probably gave you a little bit of interest in doing things like all oh, fishing, huh? Yeah, there was a no. What do they call them now? Um, Playstations and iPads yeah. and all that stuff. I remember. Uh, Dad would either drive me up to Demel's Bar or Lehman, Wisconsin, and drop me off on the canoe, and I'd float two hours downstream with a shad wrap silver number seven, and I would I would go fishing. And then later on, I I bought a eight foot flat bottom with a four horse on there, and then I yeah I I grew up hunting and fishing. I really didn't uh, like dive into the hunting side yeah. of things. I was more of the fisherman, and that's what I continue to do. You enlisted in the Army. How old were you when you enlisted, and why? I was a junior in high school, 
And, uh, you know, this is my little joke to the Marines. Um, he didn't grow up as a kid, you know, playing Marines or playing Air Force. He went outside and you played Army. Um, right. And it's, I always liked, you know, getting muddy, getting dirty, yeah. you know, and I was working at Walmart and in the electronics department and my dad was getting on my case. He was a out of gaming County sheriff deputy. And he's like, you're not going to be working at Walmart for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I walked over to subway in Menasha and there was a recruiter in line and he's like, you ever thought about joining the army? Yeah. Yeah, I have. He's (laughs) like, what are you doing right now? Not a damn thing. Yeah. So I went and took the ASVAB and I ended up joining the national guard as a junior in high school. And, uh, I liked it, you know, as a junior and senior, you know, I was in wrestling my senior year, technically in the national guard, um, didn't know how to get a proper haircut or anything like that, but I graduated, uh, I graduated high school and went to basic training that summer in 93. And, uh, so I'd been in a year and a half at that point and I got back from basic training and I said, yeah, I don't want to sit by the garage door smoking cigarettes. I never smoked before in my life, but that's what everybody did there. And I said, I want to go active duty. So my recruiter thought it was pretty cool because he got a National Guard contract out of it and a active duty contract <laughs> all in like a matter of two years. So he liked me. And then I went I went active duty. Yeah, I don't know. I just always wa- really wanted to do it. And you stayed active duty for quite a while. I may all in all, in all it was 20 and a half years. I remember my dad, he's 82 now. I'm the second youngest out of nine in a blended family, but dad always wanted somebody to join the military. I think I'm number four, fourth generation, or I'm third generation that I know of. My son is number four, but he always wanted somebody to join the military. And my stepbrother was in the Navy, but dad wanted somebody in the army. And well, I was the youngest male. So it was me by default. So yeah, I guess I wanted to, but you know, I yeah. had to too. <laughs> and on on this podcast, we won't hold against your hold it against your family that there are no Marines in it. But uh, I had to throw that in there since you had a little shot at the Marines before. Well, I'm Irish and German, <laughs> so I I tried being a Marine, um, but I couldn't fit my head in the jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so along the way, then uh, during your service time, you had a couple of children. Now, you didn't have them. Uh, I'm assuming a wife had them. I've passed kidney stones, so technically, yes, I have had kids. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. But you you did have a couple of children, and I, I, I believe divorced, and you became a single father. And that caught the interest of somebody, that you were a deployed single father, in between deployed and deploying to when what we're about to talk about happened, when they approached. Well, we were, I, I had just been uh, assigned to the 10th Mountain Division like nine months before we deployed. But we were uh, sent to Kunduz, Afghanistan, northern Afghanistan, which was a German sector, RC North. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was part of Obama's surge back then. You know, they sent yeah. 30,000 into Afghanistan. So we were part of that. On our way there, we were told that the New York Times was going to be doing a year-long publication or series called A Year at War. Yep. And when we got over there, you know, they were picking the young kids and, you know, they had some minorities in there, some females. You know, they were trying to be all diverse and everything, which is fine. 
and I wanted nothing to do with it. Well, they found out I was a single parent as a platoon sergeant and that my kids were being looked at by my brother in Wachoma, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and they got really interested, and I was not very friendly at all to them at first, and then I just kind of warmed up to the idea. So they started filming me in Afghanistan, and then they started filming my boys in Wachoma. Yeah, all at the same time. Yes. And that filming continued, didn't it, after you got home? Yeah, you know, I always ask the question, like, because that that year-long series came out, and and my section section of it, it won uh, something Mm -hmm. in Amsterdam, World Video of the Year in Amsterdam, World Press Video of the Year, and then uh, the whole series won a news Emmy. But they said, hey, we want to keep filming. I'm like, for what? What, What's this for? And they're like, well, we don't know yet. And just one thing led to another, and they filmed for 10 years. Yeah, just followed you along the way. Another deployment? No. um, No. I don't mean to, like, throw throw it on you. No, no. You go (laughs) Um, ahead. I I only have one combat. Oh, okay. I have several training deployments, Romania, Bulgaria, you know, stuff like that. Um, But only one combat deployment, which... You know, just to, can I squirrel on you for a second? Go and squirrel all you need. You know, you, you talk to other vets, and, and I, if I can say this on the podcast, you know, the, the big dick syndrome, you know, how many deployments do you have? Yep. And, I, and I just follow it right up. How many do I have to have to be cool with you? Yeah. You know, like, so one, it's, it's like a tier program. Did you deploy? Yep. And then, oh, you did? How many deployments do you have? Like. Yep. Oh, you were only shot three times? Like, yeah. come on, guys. When When is it enough? I mean, holy crap. Like, who cares? I'm dating a girl right now that's got four deployments. Like, yeah. who's the badass now? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I look up to her. Yep. And it's, yeah. You know, so technically I'm a failure because I got one <laughs> deployment and I got shot three times during it. Right. There's, there's, two, there's two medals in the military that I would not be proud of. The POW ribbon, because your ass got caught. And a Purple Heart, because you're nothing more than an enemy marksmanship badge. You're proof the enemy can shoot. Yeah. So, yep, I got one of those. I'm happy to no end that you (laughs) talked about that, because uh, that's one of the things that we talk about here a lot. Everybody has a different weight to to carry around in this world, and, and that does become an odd I, yeah, competition oddly is 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 a goofy word to use, maybe, but it is. Yeah, we're gonna open up a can of worms here because you know I I see it all the time, and I'm fine with that. I understand that's that's yep. the whole purpose of this, but you know I always made a joke when I was yeah, I bought a house uh, south of Fort Drum in a little town called Sandy Creek, and I'd go to the Sandy Creek Sportsman's Club, mm-hmm. and there's only 600, 900 people in this entire town. But I never knew when I walked into the sportsman's club to have a drink, how many special forces lived in this little bitty town. You know, you talk to the parents, oh, my son is special operations, or I have 15 confirmed kills. And, you know, my wife at the time, Maria, she could always tell when the bullshit flag was raised, because I would go from full blown out conversations to one word answers. Like I would just, yep, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, dude. Why, you know, if you were a truck driver in the military, be okay being a truck driver because guess what? It doesn't work without you driving the truck. And uh, frankly, me being an infantryman and walking down the road with 120 pounds on my back, I was a little jealous watching you drive by with a coffee cup in your hand. Like, I was a little envious, yep. you know. And then, you know, I was going to go 
somewhere else with this. Uh, but here I go oh. squirreling again. It's just this is good. The the stigma, like you know, one thing I've learned through getting wounded and some other stuff that I'm sure we're going to talk about is everybody deployed. And I think it's, it's not like a participation trophy kind of thing. It's more like, it does not matter how small or how big something is. When you're walking down the street, you only see what you see, but everybody fights battles. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how small or how big there's everybody's fighting a battle every day of their life. And I'm not saying everybody needs a hug. Maybe everybody does need a hug. Sometimes I, I like, you know, I like I to hug. I, myself a hard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I consider myself a hard ass, but you know, yeah. I want to hug sometimes. You know, I, I, I said it the other night when I, when I met you, you know, those times when I go down into the basement and all the lights are off and the TV's not on and the wife is yelling downstairs to get up off my lazy ass, you know, because I'm being lazy or whatever. No. I'm thinking some stuff that I don't want you to know about. And guess what? All I need right now is a freaking hug. I don't need to be yelled at. I don't need to be screamed at. I don't need to be told how much of a lazy piece of shit I am. Nope. I just need a hug. And guess what? Then, then I'll get back on my horse and we'll get some shit done. But, you know, along the way, reeling back to this, people just need a little more compassion with other people and understand that, you know what? It's not all about you. It's about everybody. Everybody's, fighting a battle and just yep. don't make it about you all the time. Understand that, you know, I, I, I say this all the time too, like my leg will be hurting and I'll be like, Hey David, I got to come down to Joliet, Illinois and get my leg looked at. I'm really hurting. He's like, yep, come on down. And I walk through the door and what's the first thing I see? Three quadruple amputees. Mm-hmm. They have no arms, no legs. And I'm like, okay, I'm done whining. I'm going home. Like you all, there's always somebody that's got it worse than you. Don't, don't think you're, you know, everybody's like, Oh, I got it so bad. Do you? Do you really? Yeah. Life fucking sucks sometimes, but you know what? It's going to get better. Just you, you got to understand. You're not going to understand when shit happens because it, it's the worst of the worst coming at you. And you, you got to, you know, I talked about the darkness and you know, it's dark shit and I don't like being down there. So right. I'm always trying to look up, you know, yep. I've been divorced three times, but. I got three girls to marry me. Yeah. What you talked about, about needing that hug. We've talked about it here on several different podcasts about the idea of somebody fixing you. And sometimes people, and I don't know if that's happened with you. I'd like to hear your ideas on it. Come into relationships or come into your world and they say, Oh, he needs, he needs somebody to fix him. You aren't going to be fixed. There's no fixing it. There is no, you know, it's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Why is it a fucking disorder? I'm going to swear a lot because you got me going. That's fine. It's not a disorder. I think anybody that's had any trauma in their life, it's a perfectly normal reaction because guess what? If one person's doing it, yep, it might be a disorder. But if every vet or civilian that has something traumatic happen to them and they act a little different. It's not a disorder. It's perfectly normal if the majority is doing it. So why do we call it automatically right out of the gate? It's a disorder and you're a freak. No, I'm not. You know what? And, and what's the first thing they say? You need to go talk to somebody. We need to make you an appointment. You need to talk to a professional. You know what? No, no. I just need to talk to somebody who's been through the same shit as me. Yeah. Not not be, so we can go down the dark path and down the dark tunnel, but we right. can rationalize it. 
You know, I went to Idaho and spoke, and I got this Vietnam vet that comes up and says, can I give you a hug? Absolutely. He, yes, he wanted to give me a hug, but he whispered in my ear, and he said, thank you for making the thoughts in my head, not my own. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get it right away. And I thought about it on the plane ride home. And I'm like, he just wants to know he's not by himself. He's not alone. Yeah. Like, he just needed a body. So, you know, just counseling and social workers and psychiatrists work for somebody? Maybe. Didn't work for Brian. Oh, yeah. hell no. Get them. And, okay, if there's anybody listening that is one, fine. You might be great. But the ones I've talked <laughs> to, a bunch of fucking yeah. weirdos. I just need you. And I need other buddies that have been through some shit to just talk, like rationalize shit, make it, make it okay. And don't make me a freak of nature. And I, I think I would speak for the majority of vets. Like, yeah, sometimes I walk around, you know, with a, with a 10th mountain patch on or, or a purple hard hat sometimes, not because I want attention, but people see me with one leg and it answers the question right away. Okay. He was military, you know, that kind of thing. So, but, and it, Sometimes it does get you the questions, but I think when I say I, I speak for a lot of veterans, we just want to be like normal, like treated like normal people walking down the street. You, you think about it. It's, uh, if if you get an infection, you get uh, a fever, and mm-hmm. this this kind of is the same thing. Getting that fever is a good thing. It's I mean it's normal, like you said. It's it's a it's a reaction, a physical reaction that we have, and yeah. I, I guess it's oddly not, not even oddly, it's not a disorder. It's a normal reaction. And, and to go down the worm of the, and not to talk bad about the VA, there's a lot of good sides of the VA, but I just don't like, you know, what do you call it? The matrix of, mm-hmm. oh, you're thinking this? Yes. Okay. So yes means, okay, we got to get him into the system. And then you got to talk to so-and-so and you got to have this point. And mm-hmm. you know, you're automatically on that checklist yeah. and it's just that whole, I don't know the answer. I'm just a dumb infantryman, but yeah. what they have in place now about making all these appointments and you're, you know, you go in and they immediately, have you ever had any thoughts of killing yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I have. You know, yeah. you can't go in there and say that you can't. Yeah. Yeah, you can because I've yeah. been down that rabbit hole and it just it goes right to freaking something else. So do people tell the truth and say, yeah, maybe the ones that just want it for attention, mm-hmm. they might. But I think people that are really serious about it. No, no. And they're probably the yeah. buddy sitting right next to you. Like I said the other night, it's yeah. the people you don't expect. You know, I said we lost three people in my three people out of my battalion to combat. wounds, And since we lost six, double to suicide and it's all superstars guys that i thought were complete badass it's like holy shit you were wounded you three times and one of them was in the leg and and that caused some ongoing things that affected you all again during the filming of this documentary following you around tell us what happened with your leg if you would it took me 10 years to realize that every time they film something bad happens. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do a part two. Right. <laughs> um, they weren't actually on the mission. I was on the day I got wounded, but um, mm-hmm. we were doing a, a raid on a Taliban village and we had just gotten the MATV gun trucks from Oshkosh defense. And uh, they're a pretty cool truck. You could like 
drive yeah. across the river yeah. six feet deep. And yeah, felt like home. That's Oshkosh, yeah. man. Okay. <laughs> far away, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm actually speaking there in a month. Yeah. Um, and going to take a tour of the place. But we were doing a deliberate raid, and we had the Afghans out front, you know, take charge of your country. And they got ambushed by a RPG and a PKM machine gun, just three dudes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got in a, a, a tick, troops in contact, and uh, one of the Afghans got hit. And I told the Afghan lieutenant to go out there and get his guy, and he's like, nay, nay, nay. You know, we had support with the guns and German artillery and stuff, but he w- he just wouldn't go out there. So I just got on the radio, and we were under Charlie Company at that time. I was uh, the battalion scout platoon sergeant. But uh, I just called Cobra 6, and I'm like, hey, Predator 7, I'm going to get this guy. I didn't ask. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just that's why you train. You don't think about stuff and problem mm-hmm. solve. You just execute. And the only thought in my head is this guy's on our team yeah. and we don't leave a man behind. So we're going to get him. So I told my driver, who is also my medic, to drive the truck around, put the truck in between the fire and him. I'm going to jump out, grab the dude. We're out of the ambush. We get out of the ambush site as fast as possible. Well, you know how plans go. But it didn't, yeah. didn't work out that way. I ended up catching three rounds from a. PKM machine gun, which is 308 rounds. I caught one in my right leg, two in my left. I had no idea I got hit in my right at all until I woke up in the hospital. And then two in the left. Um, uh, medic came out, did what he had to do. Definitely deserved his brown star for valor. He got me and the Afghan out of there. Um, and I kept my leg for four years. Um, I don't know. There was no pain for the first couple minutes that I remember. I'm sure there was adrenaline flowing, and then there was a whole lot of pain. Um, I can honestly say there's about a million different colors of white because I saw them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when when Jared finally hit me with the morphine, that's where the, the whole movie concept came in. I'm like, you guys are great. I remember it all. It was I remember Staff Sergeant Creed coming up to me and me fist bumping him when I was on the medevac bird. But uh. I got back to, to Walter Reed. It took nine days to get back. Got extra or hospital induced pneumonia on the way. Apparently I had water in my lungs and they thought I was having a heart attack. Yep. Uh, but then four, four years later, you know, I, I wanted to keep my leg. I remember sitting at the uh, German PRT in Kunduz and a Navy major said, Oh, we're going to take his leg. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> I got two kids to play with. Let me keep it, keep it. He's like, Oh, it's cold and black. And I'm like, yeah, I want to keep my leg. And I woke, I woke up and I still had my leg. So yeah. I gave it a whirl for, you know, I faked the funk, I guess. Um, I thought I was running, but it was more of a, a waddle. Yeah. But four years later, I said, hey, take it. So then I had to prove to the VA why I needed my leg amputated, which was totally weird to me. Yeah. But yeah. we got her done. That sounds like probably the worst thing that could have happened in your life. But it's not. It isn't, is it? Nope. And Go through the progression, if you would, of the the filming and the 10 years, and you remarried. <sighs> yep. So I, I call it my upside-down roller coaster. Yeah. So, you know, there's ups and downs, but when normal people go on a roller coaster, it's always fun going down, right? It's right. the anticipation. You're all scared going up, and then you come down. Well, mine's an upside-down roller coaster because going down stuff, you know, yeah. so – you know, going to combat Afghanistan and everything, that was like a rush. Yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, after being wounded from like 
I don't know, 2000, uh, 2011 to 2013, 14, I was at a, a very low point in my life. Like I gained 57 pounds. Mm-hmm. I was just a fat piece of shit basically. Yeah. Um, and then my son created a plenty of fish profile. And now I'd been divorced twice before. So mm-hmm. if I can caveat to that, um, yep. and I, I joke about this all the time. Um, I married for the f- wrong reasons the first two times. You know, my first wife um, was f- from a nearby town where I grew up, and that's where Isaac and Joey's mom is. And it was because I got orders to Hawaii, and she wanted to go. So we didn't get married out of love. We got married because she wanted to go to Hawaii. And then six years later, I did the same thing. I was dating a girl from Springfield, Missouri, and she wanted to go to Germany. So we got married, and she didn't even make it over there before she cheated on me. So then let's fast forward. Now it's 2013. My son makes me a Plenty of Fish profile, and I meet Maria. And that was kind of quick, too, because she was she had to move out of her house because her husband was going to foreclose on it mm-hmm. in, the, in her divorce. So I let her move in. And then, you know, there was red flags along the way. But, you know, I, I, I said this the other day too, you know, people come into your lives for a reason. I call them, call yeah. them rocket boots. You know, they're there for a reason. They're there for a little time, but it's not meant to be permanent because they're not going where I'm going. But so, yeah, we made it for a while. You know, we, we uh, had Jackson, my son in 2017, but to rewind, you know, I meet Maria in 2013, May of 2015, we got married and two months later, I was asked by Wounded Warriors in Action, um, Lieutenant Colonel John McDaniel, who's from Oshkosh, but he lives in Apollo Beach, Florida. And he does a program for uh, combat wounded veterans only, takes them hunting and fishing. And I, he called me up and he asked me if I wanted to go fishing with a professional bass fisherman, Edwin Evers. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to think about that. you know. And if anybody knows me, I love bass fishing. I'm not good at it. I think I'm <laughs> But um, I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go. So we were ramping up to go on that. And the day before, we had to drive up to Messina, New York, up on the St. Lawrence Seaway to have dinner with them. And it was a fundraiser thing. So meet the person that bid the fish against them. And uh, Joey had asked, my middle son asked if he could have some friends over. And they were going to play in the pond and, you know, do stuff like that. And I said, sure. So they were helping me make baits and stuff. It was a perfect evening. They helped me make baits. They tried making frog legs. Like, no, they went and caught the frogs, cut the legs off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, just, and it didn't work. Been they didn't like that. it. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, you know, the kids spend the night. We get up in the morning, and we got to leave around noon to head up to Messina. So I asked Joey if you know we'll go drop his buddies off, and we'll go deliver baits down in Syracuse and Brewerton, New York. And he's like, yeah. So we went and dropped his buddies off, went down to Burton, got some McDonald's, met another pro fisherman. We had a ball on the way home. We were singing to the radio and everything. And we get back and, and Joey's like, dad, I, I left my iPod at uh, Marshall's house. Can I go get it? And I said, well, we're leaving. We can just run you over there. Like it's right on the way. He's like, no, 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 you got to get going. And Isaac had left that morning to go to maps down in Syracuse to do his physical and stuff to join the army. And it was just, looking back, you know, it was kind of surreal because he had walked up to Maria and gave her two hugs. And I, I remember taking two looks at his bike, like something ain't right. But our driveway is about 100 yards long. So we get in the truck, and he's waiting at the end of the driveway. And I get to the end of the driveway, I said, I love you, buddy. He's like, I love you too, Dad. And I said, stay off that freaking road. 
about 10 miles down the road, I get a phone call from my buddy, Glenn. Hey, they're looking for you. And I said, what do you mean they're looking for you? He's like, well, they, somebody got hit by a truck and your dog tags were around his neck. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Joey. He wears the dog tags. I got shot. He's like, well, call this number. He's on his way to the hospital. So I called the number. It ended up being Joey's wrestling buddy's dad, who was the EMT on the ambulance. And he said, hey, Joey's been hit by a truck. We're on our way to upstate. Everything's fine. Just get there as soon as you can. So, you know, I'm halfway to Watertown at this point. I turn around. I'm doing 94 miles an hour down the highway. We get down to the hospital. And, you know, the EMT... He said what he had to say on a professional level to keep me as calm as possible, but everything was not okay. Joey had been hit once, launched about 12 feet, hit again, drug 125 feet up a hill. The driver kept going. The bike came off when he turned around at the neighbor's driveway, said he needed to get cell service to call 911. His shoes were found 100 feet apart. And a lady by the name of Diane Lewis was there holding his head until the ambulance got got there. Um, the guy that hit him never once went down to check on him. I don't know if it's shock or whatever. But regardless, we walk into the hospital and they ask who we are. And as soon as, as, soon as I say my name, they had that look. So they said, go around the corner. I go around the corner. Who's the first person I see is the chaplain. And I'm like, son of a bitch, not me. I'm in total denial mode. This is where I get stupid and start calling people names. And they bring us into this room and I see this really young neurosurgeon and he's like, give me all this medical stuff. And I'm like, fucking stop. What are my son's chances? And he said, 0.05. And then now I'm pissed even more. And I said, I want to see my son. I want to see him right now. And they said, he's coming out of the scans. Da, 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 da. So we finally get up there and we get to see him. And yeah, it's Joey. Um, but I remember holding his hand and I'm like, come on, buddy, you know, you, you got to do this. And I didn't know it at the time, you know, they never looked below his neck. They were focusing on his head, but basically he had a 45 minute ride to the hospital. And in that time, his brain had swollen and started to go, you know, down his spine. It goes to the path of least resistance, wherever it can find room, I guess. Um, and he became brain dead. Um, and I guess from chest below was completely crushed he didn't have a chance and i remember the neurosurgeon doctor whatever her name was she comes up and she's like hey we need to talk about brain dead you know yeah. protocol and i'm like do you have kids and she's like yeah i got two girls and i said you know tell me straight and she's like brian she goes he doesn't have a very good chance of coming through but even if he does come through you know it's been hours yeah he's not going to know who you are and the whole time I'm thinking football, Joey, wrestling, Joey, goofball, Joey, you know, monkey, Joey. Yeah. If he would have to be in a chair like a vegetable, he's going to hate me for life. And I'm like, I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and this is where, you know, we talk about going to the VA and talking about suicide and stuff, but um, the whole organ donation approach, at least at this hospital, was very awkward. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you say, we're going to pull the plug, we're going to take Joey off of life support. It's like a swarm of bees come in. Like they got this checklist. Yeah. Well, let's talk about organ donation. So I started asking questions. Well, tell me all about it. 
And the way they do it is they say he doesn't get any sedation. They have to keep his body alive for up to 48 hours, and then they harvest him. Mm-hmm. So they determine what organs are good to use, and then they harvest him. So Morbid Me gets on Google. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing anybody gets from this podcast and you lose a son, do not get on Google mm-hmm. and, and see what happens during organ donation or mortuary affairs altogether because there's no sedation. There's nothing. It is straight up harvesting. They rip him open. They take what they want. And guess what? He goes to the mortician open. They don't sew him back up. They don't do anything. They put him in a bag and they ship him off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, morticians have told me that. Um, And it's kind of gross. And And I think the main reason I said no to it, was I didn't want him to feel any more pain because at that point I wanted to know if he felt it, yeah. you know, when he got hit, did he feel it? Like, yeah, I, I don't know why I was completely wrapped around. I don't want my son to be in pain. I'm supposed to protect them. Right. And I failed. I failed as a parent. And I believe that to this day, my job was to protect my son and I didn't do it. So I, I couldn't do the organ donation. So that's, you know, one of the battles I fight on a daily basis. Could I have saved a couple other people's lives? You know, he was a 12-year-old little boy with a, a heart that beat for 10 minutes with no oxygen. That's a phenomenally strong heart. You know, could he have saved somebody? His eyes, you know, whatever was still functional and good. So I fight for that. But in the end, I was a dad, and I didn't want him to feel any more pain. So I said no. That was a that was a rough time. You know, that's my what I call my coulda quit number two. Like, I, I wanted to trade places with him. I lived life. I want, I want my son to live life. Yeah. And then I got angry and I wanted to, I Google earth somebody's house and I bought two more rifles and I bought a lot of ammo and I was going to defend my son's honor. And thank God I didn't because none of that's going to bring my son back. That's just a, a revenge thing. We're with Brian Aish here on stigma free vet zone and Brian, the school contacted you after all of this and what happened from there? Well, we did a, a private funeral at, at the funeral home for close family and friends. And then the school contacted me and is like, there's a lot of people. And I'm like, well, can we do something at the school? And wow, that's all I got to say. Um, there's well over 700 people there to uh, say goodbye to Joey. Um, yeah. Things to know, you know, the the gym was absolutely packed. Uh, but the Patriot Guard showed up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember how many, you know, but all around the gym, you know, they had their, their vests on and every one of them had a flag. And I'm like, I went up to the guy and I'm like, I thought this was just for veterans. And yeah. they're like, it is. you're a veteran. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but that's my son. He goes, we're a family. And I'm like, well, that was deep. And then, uh, you know, after it was all done, we're wheeling the casket out to the hearse. And uh sorry. <laughs> no, I usually that's... do pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But there's four squad cars out there. That's gonna escort them. And uh 
two state troopers and two county boys. And one of the state troopers was Captain Burke. And he's not a captain on the New York State Police. He was a captain in my battalion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got shot five times in Iraq. <laughs> uh, but he was right there, and I just snapped right to attention. You know, I'm getting ready to bury my son, and I just saluted the shit out of him. And I just, it's like, holy crap. Like, that was huge. Yeah. Um, another touching moment of that is six of Joey's best friends. These are twelve-year-old kids. Yeah, you know they're wheeling a casket out to a hearse and putting them in, putting them in the hearse, and they shouldn't be doing that. But they did it. You know they they were crying too. But all right, damn it, Scott, it's been eight freaking years, and I don't think I've cried in four telling this story. I don't know what the hell you did. I guess I I don't yeah. normally tell this part this part of it, but how about if I tell you I'm giving you a hug, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's a part of my book, I guess. You know it's yeah. We have chapters in our books, and sometimes you 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 don't have to read the damn book every day, but sometimes you go back, and some of the chapters are harder to read at times. And I guess that's one of one of the chapters I'm reading right now is tough. So, yeah, but then, uh, you know, from there, the hearse took Joey down to the Syracuse airport. And uh, we flew Joey to Wisconsin. And I say we, Lori Schneider, she runs the Corporal Kyle R. Schneider Foundation, which is their son who was killed in Afghanistan about six months after I was wounded. Mm -hmm. Um, She set it up for us to fly an airplane with Joey in the belly and we flew to Wisconsin. God damn you. Um, <laughs> but we buried Joey in, uh, in Wisconsin um, yeah. near his grandma and grandpa. So that was, uh, that was pretty deep, but we also had a funeral in Wisconsin for Joey for family that was out there. So he had three funerals. Um, it was huge, and thanks to Lori Schneider, we didn't we didn't have to pay a penny. She took care of everything, rental car, flights. She's an amazing woman, and she honors her son like to no end. And I can never, I can never thank her enough for that. But you know, then it was a, a another down side to our life. You know, I got depressed again. Um, I drank for a while. Yeah, you know, you want to numb that pain. And then I realized, hey, dumbass, it's not working. you got to find a different outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two years later, I was talking to Maria, and I'm like, I, I can't drive by this accident site anymore. we gotta, we gotta, we got to move. And I just looked at her, and I said, I want, I want to move home. And she said, okay, we can go to Wisconsin. Um, and while we were in the planning stages of that, she came out of the uh, bathroom and said, I'm pregnant. So all those times that I was down and was having those bad thoughts about, yeah, I want to trade places with Joey and shit sucks. February 10th of 2017, I got the reason why I didn't do any of that stuff. And yeah. <laughs> we had Jackson. 
So we call Jackson our little blessing in disguise. And everything does happen for a reason. And now I look back at it, and Joey was uh, – Joey sacrificed himself for the better of his entire family. We were meant to move home. Joey was meant to be here – or Jackson. Jackson's here for a reason. And now, you know, <laughs> where we moved in Wisconsin isn't – I didn't move back to my hometown. We yeah. drove around the state looking around, and I said, you know what? We got Jax. I said – I want him to be in a good wrestling school. Yep. So that's why we live in Luxembourg Casco. They're the number one division two wrestling team in the state. And they're just a powerhouse. And, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I'll attest so, to that. I'll attest to that. <laughs> the, the two, my two older boys, you know, they loved wrestling, but they weren't necessarily good. So I said, you know, I got to set Jackson up for pure success, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's six years old now. He did his first full year of wrestling and he was, 35 wins, two losses, and 27 of those wins were pins. <laughs> and they call him the beast. He's just a little animal. He did, he's, yeah. I mean, yeah, he likes his Nerf guns and stuff, but, you know, he does 30 push-ups before bed every night. Yeah. He's just yeah. a little animal, and it's just pure joy. And I'm like, he's like, Dad, what if I want to play basketball? I said, you can play basketball, but I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just <laughs> – so – so he, he really loves it, and and he's just a blessing. And you know, things didn't work out with Maria and I, but she's still a, a good mother. And we've been divorced less than a year, but we're working on you know the co-parenting thing, and it yeah. it doesn't come without its its own struggles. But yeah. you know, I think we both look at it like this is for Jackson, not me or you. So we try to be fair about everything um, and give give what's best for Jackson and. So, so far it's working. So because of the divorce, I had to sell the house and we're in a, in a rental, a really old farmhouse, nice house, but it's a lot of house. And I got to mow four acres every two weeks. <laughs> so in the spring, we'll, uh, we'll get into a house and, uh, I'm, I'm dating a girl from Tomahawk, Wisconsin. She did 16 years in the military. So we can really relate. Yeah. I call her my little badass because she weighs like a hundred pounds soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, but she'll put me in my place in a heartbeat. So yeah, yeah. 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 Meanwhile, in all of this, by the way, everything that we just heard, the cameras were rolling. Yeah, we're still filming. You get used to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes you just notice that it's not there, and you know you're you're walking to go to like a Renaissance fair or whatever, and people are just staring, and I'm like, I'm doing the job of the camera. Don't look at the camera. You know, and the cool part of it was is if there's something you didn't want in there, you just said, don't put that in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's there's parts of that documentary that I, I chuckle at because, you know, the New York Times and Netflix, they had the direction that they wanted that documentary to go. They wanted it to, to be about a family after combat and PTSD. Yeah. That's that's what they wanted. And they put, you know, they showed Maria in the, the saving angel light, you know, that she was there mm -hmm. saving me, yeah. like you were saying before. Um, but, you know, it's it's all edited. So, you know, they don't have the, and, and I don't mean to talk bad about her, but they don't have the the parts in there where she kicked the camera crew up out of our house twice or called them this and that. And, you mm -hmm. know, there was there's times in the documentary, like I'm at the Renaissance fair where I proposed to her. Mm -hmm. People, people don't know 
but I had just got released from the hospital 10 days after my surgery from getting amputated. Yeah. I was higher than a kite. I was on long release morphine, short release morphine, Dilaudid, Steroquil. I was on all this. I was higher than a kite while I was at that Renaissance fair. And you know, th- that guy that comes up and he's like, was it worth it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, motherfucker, it was not worth it. <laughs> like, no, I want my leg back, really. Can you make that happen? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, in that state, you just want to kind of like yeah. make it look like to him that everything's good, even though it wasn't. A movie was made. It did okay. Probably won some awards along the way and everything else for for that network. You were telling me you got great compensation out of that movie. I like popcorn. Oh, yeah. I like popcorn. Was, What'd you get? It was absolutely amazing. So, you know, in 2019, I think the New York Times said, hey, we got something we want to talk to you about. Um, we just need you to sign this piece of paper. So I didn't even think about it. I should have got a lawyer. But I just signed a little one-paragraph piece of paper that says, hey, I authorized Netflix to make this movie, and I wasn't promised anything. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, when it was all said and done, we got a package from Netflix, very pretty, wrapped very nicely. We got a bag of microwave popcorn and a pair of Netflix slippers. And I had to pay for my own Netflix account to watch my own damn documentary. Now, I mean, when they were filming, you know, whenever they were around and we went out to eat, they, you know, they paid for the meals. And, you know, brought, brought food and stuff, but we did not get paid one red cent for any part of that documentary. I'm a little angry about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody or somebody does something for nothing, but you know what? I let him film me for 10 years. I said, yes, I had no idea where it was going, Yep. but you know, it is what it is. You know, you got to make the best out of what he's got. So now I just, you know, I had Travis Mills said this to me. You know, he does public speaking all the time. And I spoke at high schools all the time. And he's like, get out there and tell your story, man. He goes, you got an Emmy award winning documentary on Netflix. He goes, yeah, I don't have that. Right. This did give you a platform uh, of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the base to my pyramid and now it's up to me and you only know what you know. So, you know, I met you, I, I've, I've done other podcasts and stuff, but you know, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And networking is key. You have to build those relationships with people. And I, I think it's important. That's why, you know, another lesson I learned along the way, um, when I was in the military, I was a fucking prick. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm I'm nice to everybody now. I don't care if you're standing outside of Walmart and you come up to me and say, you got any money? Yeah, I do. Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, on the way to the hospital to take Joey off life support there was a guy that wouldn't let me pass. He wouldn't let me buy. And I'm like, that fucking prick, that fucking prick. And then I put myself in that driver's position of him not letting me pass. And he was like, well, here's this guy on my ass, tailgating me, beeping his horn, flashing his lights. Fuck you, I'm not letting you buy. That guy's a fucking prick. Yeah. But, you know, I wish I could tell that guy, hey, I'm going to take my son off life support. Right. You know, maybe he'd have a little understanding. So that's, I think that was like my, my shot in the gut that where I learned everybody's fighting some kind of battle and they fight it differently than everybody else and just have a little understanding. So I'm try I try to be nice to everybody I can. Now, if you, if you push me or you say the wrong thing, I'm coming at you. Sure. 
Like sure. I'll let it build up, but I will get you guaranteed. I, I'm a sore loser. Yeah. When I met you the other day, Brian, you had your shirt on that said <clears throat> for Joey. For Joey. Mm-hmm. You do talk at these presentations about the worst thing that ever happened to you. And everybody assumes they see your prosthesis, which I, did you tell me you always wear shorts as much as possible at these presentations? I always wear Yep. And, you know, I, I, I wear shorts just because I want people to see that. And they, you know, especially like the younger kids and young adults, they see that and they're like, whoa, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And wherever I'm speaking, I deliberately tell them, do not mention Joey in any of your flyers or anything like yeah. that. Because it's, I want to drive that shock and awe point home that yeah. it's not what you see all the time. I have a, a a visual, like people see me as a combat wounded soldier, mm-hmm. and I get treated a certain way for that. I don't go to breakfast most of the time because I rarely get to pay for my breakfast. Yeah, but there's a veteran probably sitting at the table next to me that's got to pay for his breakfast every time because he's got something that people can't see. You know, yeah. whether it be mental health or something like that. And it's yeah. not right. So I think I do that to try and educate people that just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Right. If that right. makes sense. That makes all the world of sense. And yeah, they don't see joy. They see yeah. the wounded, the wounded veteran. And the it's- other side of that, you know, just like at the event I spoke at the other night, it's amazing how many parents have buried their sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing. And you don't know until you know. I, I spoke at a veterans group at Manitowoc County. And there was a, a guy that's been in this group for five or ten years. And none of them knew that he had lost a daughter. But I got up there and spoke and he told me, yeah, I lost a daughter. Yeah. No parent should ever have to bury your kid. It's out of the natural order of life. It's not right. You bury your mom and dad, you bury your grandma and grandpa, you don't bury your kids. It's a struggle. And, you know, people try to relate. And I'm not saying it's the worst thing ever. But I had a lady come up three days after Joey was killed and said, I know what you're going through. I buried my dog two days ago. I never wanted to punch somebody so bad in my life. No, you don't freaking know what I'm going through. You, you, You dog? What? Yeah. Like, I'm sympathetic to animals, but a dog's a lot different than a 12-year-old son. And, you know, it's different than, like, an ailment, like cancer, because you have time to prepare in most cases. Yeah. But that that sudden, I love it. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, I'm so thankful that 10 minutes before he was hit, I was able to give him a hug and tell him I love him. You know, some parents don't get that opportunity. Some parents are fighting with their kids yep. before they get killed. So I'm I'm thankful that, you know, I was able to say that to them. Every, everybody's different. Every situation's different. And I think they need to be handled differently. Mm-hmm. But just try to be nicer to people. You know, I went and saw a medium. And the, I, I was against it at first. I'm like, these people are quacks. Well, they're not. I'm here to tell you. Um, there's validation points that they bring up that there's no way they could know this stuff and they get it. And it's like, Whoa. But one of the things that I got out of the medium from Joey is he said, 
live your life with more happiness than sadness. Mm-hmm. Try to fill your days with more happiness than sadness. So that's like, you know, that's one of my core values of every day is try to do more good than bad in a day, you know? Yeah. And then yep. I've, I've built on my pyramid and I, I, I call it my three pillars, purpose, identity, and do something you love. You know, when I was in the military, I had a purpose, I had identity and, you know, I was doing something I love, but when you get out, you feel lost because you don't have that identity anymore. So you got to find a new one and you got to grab it by the horns and you got to take it. So, you know, I, I chose bass fishing and then I've since started a a high school bass fishing team. Um, We're doing very well. We got 17 kids this year. And then I started up a, a Joey Eich biggest heart fund and on my website, I have a link to it, but basically uh, I've been paying out of pocket for the past eight years, but there's two schools. Joey's school in New York has a wrestling team, a youth wrestling team. And then here in Luxembourg, Casco for Jackson youth wrestling team. And I, we set up a fund that every year the coaches pick out a kid that most exemplifies who Joey was. And we give them around 200, $250 worth of personalized wrestling gear. And their name gets put on a plaque just to try and, you know, remember and honor Joey for who he was and how he was. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my way of, I don't know, purpose. And, and you're getting a hug and giving hugs. Yeah. 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 yeah I've, I've noticed I'm more busy now being retired than I was on active duty. I don't know. I look back, I'm like, how did I do that as a single parent? I have no idea. Yeah. But the irons are in the fire. Like I am going nonstop and it's, yeah. it's rewarding because you know, I had somebody, somebody uh, that I recently divorced told me I was very selfish. And I'm like, I got a nice boat that I paid a lot of money for and I go fishing a lot, but do a lot of shit for other people. Like, uh, yeah, I don't have to do those things. So I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to justify myself. I don't know, but I don't think I'm that, that selfish. Plus you have four acres of lawn to mow. Oh my God. It's insane. And there's the front. <laughs> Holy crap. And it's old farm grass. So it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Thank God I got a zero turn. Yep. Well, Brian, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, I'm thinking you probably have a message. I- I'm sure your message uh, is landing home with a lot of people listening to this because uh, the bottom line, we need hugs. Yeah. More than anything, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking the, the rainbow hugs. You know, I'm not talking the fluff and pillows and unicorns and all that crap. Being there. I'm talking like being there. Stop, stop redirecting to other people. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Brian. That's Brian Aish, Army veteran who has a wonderful message and a tough message uh, to tell us. Here again at the Stigma-Free Vet Zone, I'm Scott Schultz reminding you that if you find yourself in any kind of uh, mental crisis, first of all, find somebody to hug, as Brian was talking about, but absolutely please pick up that phone and dial 988 and hit prompt 1. Don't let yourself get too far because uh, we need you around. We need your messages. On behalf of the entire crew at Stigma-Free Vet Zone, I'm Scott Schultz.
Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.